0: Evening, Good evening. At our uh, at our church in Bergenfield, we've been going through the Book of Jonah, so we'll be having a sermon from from Jonah tonight. Jonah chapter one, verse seventeen, and then uh, looking at chapter two through verse ten. I'm not going to read the text right away. We're going to get to that in, in just a, in just a minute. But first, uh, a bit of a story. A friend of mine recently told me a story about a time that he had when road tripping with some friends. They were all loaded into their conversion van, pumping the tunes and cruising along, when they saw something walking in the middle of the road right down the yellow two lines ahead of them. As they got closer, they realized that it was a skunk, and as they got closer still, they saw that this particular skunk had a baby food jar stuck around its head. And that's a death sentence for a skunk, the jar being stuck there. The, the skunk doesn't have the arm angles, he doesn't have the ability, the, the flexibility, really, to get it off. So now there's no way for him to eat, no way for him to get sustenance. He's stuck in a death trap. He literally put his nose where it didn't belong. And now he has nothing to do but to wait for the slow and painful death of starvation. Now, if this were an otter or, or a fox or some cute little animal, they would probably have some hope, right? Like, people aren't as hesitant to approach a cute, helpless animal. But a skunk? Nobody wants to approach a skunk. And definitely not a skunk as big as this one was, apparently. I mean, it might be mean. It, it would be somewhat hard to pin down. And, and then there's the mess. Those things are known for making a horrible, stinky mess. It's their calling card, I mean, it's what they do, right? And the mess can stick with you for weeks. I I once ran over a skunk in in the dead of night with my car, and this one had already been hit. Like, it was dead when when I ran over it. And my my car still stunk for like a good three days afterwards. Skunk smell doesn't go away quickly or, or quietly. Who wants to help when they could possibly get that smell, that mess, all over them? No. Better to let the skunk die. It's, it's just getting what deserves. It shouldn't have been rooting around in the garbage in the first place, right? The people of Nineveh are a lot like the skunk my friend saw walking down the road with the jar on its head. They're trapped, but not by a baby jar, but by sin. Their, their sin separated, from them, separated them from God. They had, they had no means To deal with it. They could never be good enough to get rid of it. They needed help. They needed good news. They needed someone to remove the jar. But who wants to go to Nineveh? Nobody. Nobody wants to go to Nineveh. That place is a wreck. That place is going to get its mess on you for sure. They are sinful, horrible people. And they deserve what they are getting. Or at least that's how Jonah saw it anyway. The one whom God chose to send to Nineveh, but, but Jonah was reluctant to the call. He didn't want anything to do with helping Nineveh. They were getting what they deserved. They'd been rooting around in the garbage for so long, it was just their time. This was the inevitable, right? Destruction was the price Jonah wanted them to pay for all their bad decisions, and so instead of going to Nineveh, he ran. He hopped a boat headed for Tarshish because he was reluctant to believe in the sovereignty of God. And as we yeah, he, he was reluctant. He didn't want to believe that, that God could follow him. And yet, God does not give up. And so he went with Jonah in a mighty storm that threatened to sink their boat and freaked out the captain and the whole crew. And then Jonah is thrown overboard. And as he hit the water, the storm calmed down and the sailors feared and worshipped this God who had control over the wind and the seas. And that's where our text picks up this evening. We start in Jonah chapter 1 verse 17 and we read through Jonah 2 verse 10. Let's read the word of the Lord. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. And then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. And the flood surrounded me, all your waves and your billows, they passed over me. And then I said, I am driven from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life, the deep surrounded me, weeds were wrapped about my head. At the roots of the mountains I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you, into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. That ends the reading. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. For your word is truth. God, I pray that you would... Speak through your word this evening that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. I pray this in your name. Amen. <laughs> so here we have this interaction that the story of Jonah is most known for. The runaway who's thrown overboard and then swallowed by a huge fish, often referred to as a whale. And Jonah's in the fish for three days, and, and during this time he composes a psalm, a poem. We're gonna take a little bit more of a deep look at that poem this evening. And then when the three days is up, he's deposited back on dry land, vomited up by this fish. Now, typically, when we think of this part of the story, or when like I've seen it in cartoons or you know, veggie tales or whatever, the fish comes and grabs Jonah pretty quickly, right? It's like it's like this big fish is just kind of waiting in the water and they throw him overboard and it's like you can see the fin half the time or the tail's like there out of the water. And he hits the water and the fish just comes and takes him and that that's, tends to be like the vision that we often get when we're thinking about this story. But that's not how Jonah describes it in his psalm. Jonah spends the first half of the psalm describing his descent into the ocean. But it's more than just a descent into the ocean. It's a descent into death, to Sheol, to the land of the dead. Jonah sees himself, feels himself, sinking into the depths under God's judgment. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows, they passed over me, Jonah writes. All your waves and your currents, they're they're washing over me, pushing me deeper He feels tangibly his separation from God. And as Jonah sinks deeper and deeper, it is as though he is overwhelmed with feelings of claustrophobia. Utter helplessness grows and closes in upon him. He he speaks of the deep surrounding him and the seaweed entangling him. In verse 6, Jonah writes that he is at the roots of the mountains. And then he continues by saying, I went down to the land whose bars closed over me forever. Both the roots or the deepest part of the mountains and the bars of the underworld are expressions of the Old Testament and, and nature and ancient Near Eastern Eastern man alive. See if I can talk. We'll get it there. Expressions of Old Testament and ancient Near Eastern imagery that point to the power of death to imprison its captives. Jonah's stuck. He can't get out. He cannot save himself. Jonah may have thought that Nineveh was the skunk with the jar on his head. And then here he is at the bottom of the ocean beyond all means of logical rescue. Walking down the road with the jar on his own head. And he has no one to blame for it but himself. He's the one who was reluctant to God's call, right? He's the one who heard very clearly what God was calling him to do. And then he ran. He decided he didn't didn't want to do that. And and he ran, and in his running, he denied God's sovereignty. He thought that he could actually get away from God. He thought he could outsmart God. He thought he could slip away in the night in the belly of a ship and thwart God's plans. He ran, he fled from the presence of God. I don't want anything to do with your plan for me, was the cry of Jonah's heart. I'm leaving so that you can't find me. I am fleeing your presence, God. And so here is Jonah, his running, his reluctance has left him in despair, overwhelmed by judgment and regret, trapped in the land of the dead without any hope of freeing himself. When I was in seminary in Hebrews class, we translated the whole book of Jonah from the ancient Hebrew. And then we were asked to write an 18 page exegetical paper on the passage that we were assigned by the teacher. Our passage this morning are the verses that I was given. This passage, this psalm that Jonah wrote in the belly of the fish. And as I wrote that paper, as I worked through the implications of the text, there was one thought that just kept hitting me, to to borrow the the nautical theme and language, just kept washing over me like a wave. And is the thought that I am Jonah. I am Jonah. To borrow a term that I've, I've heard around a bit these days, when I read the story of Jonah, when I read this book, I feel seen. It's me. I do this. I fail to do what I'm supposed to do even though I know I'm supposed to do it. And most of the time I don't like forget the instruction as much as I ignore the instruction I mess the things up all, all the time. It's me. I am Jonah. How often have I run from God's will for my life, run from his instruction and guidance that is laid out so clearly in Scripture, run for a variety of reasons that all suit my purposes and desires over his. You know, I, I don't want to do it. It's it's uncomfortable, and I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable here. I don't. I don't really like those people. Maybe I just don't really understand that culture. Or, man, I really like this particular sin. It's comfortable for me. I don't want to stop doing the things that I do or, you know, whatever. The list goes on. The bottom line is that I am reluctant to God's call and I am reluctant to God's sovereignty because I want to believe that I can override God and do what I want. That I can avoid God and and do what I want. And as I'm rooting around in the trash of my life, I get a jar stuck on my head. And now, like the Ninevites, like Jonah, I'm a dirty, smelly skunk walking around with a a jar on my head, helpless to remove it. Trapped by sin, stuck in my sin as I have engaged in it and fled from the presence of God, as I enjoyed the pleasures of the sinful nature, the pleasures of the flesh, trapped. Waiting for death, the death that my actions have earned. It's the death that I have bought and paid for with my reluctance, my inability to follow God. Can you relate to that? Can you relate to the Ninevites? Can you relate to Jonah? Can you relate to me? Are there times in life when the crushing weight of God's judgment is overwhelming? And when the sin that was so tempting leaves you empty and, and guilty and shamed and just full of remorse and regret and trapped? In your reluctance to let God be God, have you run from Him? If that is you this evening. If you look at Jonah trapped in his pride and his sin and his reluctance and you feel seen, then I have some great news for you. God has grace on the reluctant. My friend, as he was driving down the road and and passed this skunk in the middle of the highway, felt mercy for the pitiful creature trapped by its own gluttony. He pulled over to the side of the road, convinced And convinced one of his friends to help. And while one of them threw a raincoat over the animal and like pinned it down in an attempt to get that tail like out of commission and contain whatever spray may be sprayed. The other pulled the baby food jar off of the skunk's head and the animal was free. No longer trapped, given its life back, not because of anything that it had done. But because of an outpouring of grace and mercy. And Jonah, at the moment of greatest darkness and despair, when no human action could save him, Yahweh sent a fish, a means of grace, a tangible representation of God's power to save and God's desire to save. God sent this fish to this reluctant prophet to swallow him and bring him up out of the land of the dead and to free him from the seaweed that had trapped and entangled him and to call him back into relationship with God and to bring him to safety. And for us. To save us from our helpless, sinful state. To take the jar off of our heads. To give us life. God sent us Jesus. God sent his son to pay the price that we could not. Like the seaweed with Jonah, our sin has entangled us and trapped us at the roots of the mountains in the land of the dead. We had no means of escape. There is nothing that we could do to rescue ourselves, to earn the rescue that we needed. We were helpless. And so God sent Jesus to be our rescuer. As I've pondered the image of my friend and his friend approaching this skunk in the middle of the road... You know, they've got the raincoat out, like extended, trying to figure out like how to do this just the right way. And, and trap it and keep their distance, keep their, their separation to, to, to minimize any problem that, that may occur. To, to keep the stench as contained and, and as far from them as possible. I thought of how Jesus approached our situation. He didn't come with raincoat extended. He didn't come with a protection or an escape plan. Jesus came to us vulnerable. He came to us as a human. He came to us even though we were filthy, stinky, disgusting, and repulsive to him due to all of our time spent languishing in the trash of our sin. But instead of grabbing some angels and like teaming up on us, jumping us and and throwing a raincoat over us so that we wouldn't, or he wouldn't be contaminated. By our stench, Jesus, in His infinite love and mercy, embraced us. God approached us helpless on the road and in His great love for for us, picked us up. And He held us close. He more than got our stench all over Him, He took our stench from us. And He carried it to the cross. And that stench, the stench of our sin, was so great that God abandoned him there. Because of our stench and Jesus' acquisition of it, God forsook Jesus on the cross. And so Jesus took the penalty for our stench, for our shame, for our guilt, for our pride, for our reluctance, and for our sin. And there he died in our place, covered in our filth. But he didn't stay dead. For three days later, he rose from the dead and conquered sin and death. And in so doing, he removed the jar from our head. We were given life again, life in Christ, so that any who believe in him would not experience spiritual death, but we reconciled to God. We no longer have the stink of sin on them, but we were restored to relationship with God and will spend eternity with God in heaven. Jonah, like every believer, is inconsistent, reluctant, and yet saved by the Lord alone, who alone is always steadfast. To reluctant Jonah, God has sent a fish. And to us reluctant sinners, God sent Jesus. He is the means of grace, the tangible representation of God's power and God's desire to save his people and to Nineveh. God sent Jonah not to save them, but to proclaim to them the word that saves. And to the world around us, our neighbor, our friend, our enemy, God has sent us not to save them, but to proclaim the word that saves. The word of a God who meets us in our shame and our reluctance, and embraces us in our stench and filth. A God that does not wait for us to be worthy, but by His power and grace and through the faith that He has given us, has declared us worthy, has declared us forgiven, has declared us loved, has declared us His. Oh, praise the name, Of the God who has grace. On the reluctant. Oh praise the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. God I thank you. For. Your grace. And your mercy. God I thank you that you have saved us. That our, our sin. The stench of. Of all that we have done. All that we continue to do. Did not stop you from embracing us. But that you took that from us. As you held us close. As you hold us close. God we just thank and praise you. For all that you have done. And for all that you have done. Let me express this Lord. As we pray in the way that you taught us to pray. Our Father. Our Father